Welcome to A Moment of Bach, and welcome back to the mini-series on the Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 5. Each year, we do a mini-series of three episodes on the three parts of a Brandenburg Concerto. And this week, we're on the second week and the second episode of this wonderful Brandenburg Concerto. In this podcast, we take our favorite moments from Bach's vast musical output. Sometimes we focus on just a minute's worth or even just a few seconds. And we'll be doing that today with this movement. We're your hosts, Christian and Alex Giebert. Today's moment is from near the beginning of that second movement of the Brandenburg Concerto No. 5 in D major. The harpsichord that you just heard was built by Johannes Rookers in 1640. And not only is this harpsichord basically a working museum piece, this performance by the Netherlands Bach Society is done in the Rijksmuseum, which is a major museum in Amsterdam. In fact, you can see behind them in the video Rembrandt's famous painting, Night Watch, The Night Watch. And not only that, but there's also a pretty ornate painting inside the lid of this original 1600s harpsichord. So that level of artistry gets us in the mood to hear this middle movement here of the Brandenburg Concerto No. 5, which is marked by Bach, Affettuoso, which is an Italian marking. And obviously Bach, not Italian, right? But he would use Italian markings in the music. This was commonplace, as is the case today, really, still with written out music using Western music notation. Much of it is still in Italian, and the terms are still used today, like forte and piano, for example. So affettuoso meaning affectuously or uh, affected or probably more properly translated as passionately or tenderly with, with tender expression. Maybe affectionately might be better, although that's a little bit of a stretch. But if you listen, Bach makes a lot out of a little bit of material as is his way. And what we get is this dun 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 da dum thing, and that's the building block of the entire piece. And that, because of the rhythm that Bach sets it in, has a certain pull to it that it wouldn't have if the rhythm was straighter. So I'll show you an example of what I mean here. Dun 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 da dum. Well, what if it was just bum 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 that kind of thing? Da da da. Well, that would be something, but I think it wouldn't have quite the pull that these dotted rhythms have. That's what we call we call that dotted rhythms because it literally has a dot on the note in the manuscript. You wouldn't know by hearing it, but bum ba bum bum. Bum, bum, typically gives off a sense of 
regality in the music. Sometimes you'll have composers use that as a regal march or regal entrance. Uh, French overture style can be sometimes called, and we've talked about that as relates to BWV 61. Christian, your uh, first movement of Nuncomter Head in Highland, the first one of those cantatas that Bach wrote. So here, because it's a slow, affectionate movement, affetuoso, it's less of an overture, but that dotted rhythm gives it some, some sense of like tugging at your heartstrings. Dun, dun, dun. So what I'm going to focus on today, because the Netherlands Bach Society recording is so particular in the way that they interpret this, I'm going to focus on the artistry, right? I mean, they're at the Rijksmuseum. They're playing right in front of Rembrandt's The Night Watch. They're playing on these beautiful old instruments. What are they doing as an ensemble to interpret Bach's work? What artistry are they adding? And what they're doing is they are interpreting the articulation and the dynamics and the tempo of the music in a way that seems authentic to the style, but also gives it their own special flair. So how do you access the musicality that's inherent in a piece of music by a composer as great as Bach? If you just play this music straight, kind of like my example before where I even straightened out the rhythms, it makes it pretty boring. But let's hear what they do with just those first few notes. You're going to hear the violin start, and then you're going to hear the flute answer in a little conversation. Okay, did you hear that violin, how it hung on that high note for a while? And there was a crescendo on that note that the violinist here, Shinsuke Seto, adds some pull to that note so it doesn't remain static. Let's listen to that again. You'll hear the violin start. The flute will enter, but keep your ear tuned to the violin and how it rises and rises. And then it stays on a high note and it crescendos through the note. then it will land right there on a little mini cadence. So that was only um, two measures, or basically two measures and change of music. But there's already so much there that they were able to activate by playing it with good musicianship. And I want to focus a little bit on the harpsichord, because there are only three instruments playing in this movement. If you listened to last week's episode, you know that there's a harpsichord, a violin, and a flute, plus a ripieno section, which is another small group of string musicians playing the background stuff. But here in this middle movement, Bach keeps it intimate. He has only the solo violin, solo flute, and solo cembalo, so they would call it, which is harpsichord. And those three instruments are the only thing going on. And that means the harpsichord has to cover the bass motion. And the harpsichord is kind of a a light sounding instrument, but the sound production here is really good, so you can hear the bass pretty well, especially if you are listening right now on speakers that have good bass. You can hear the bass notes of the harpsichord as they descend against the violin and flute notes that are going up. Listen for those bass notes crawling down a scale. 
And so he's playing the bass line, but he's also playing some chords up above. And just like in movement one here, it switches off between giving him chords to play or giving him an actual melodic line to play in the right hand, which is more important. Our harpsichordist here, Richard Egar, is playing this harpsichord, which was built in the Baroque era. This harpsichord has two manuals or two like full keyboards. This allows you to get different sounds. You can turn on different things. It's kind of like the organ, but very, very much more simplified. Typically these harpsichords will have like an eight foot and a four foot rank, for example. So you could play the harpsichord. You can play just the notes that are written, or you can add an octave above to give it more, more color uh, and more volume. Or you can just have two, like there are two separate eight foot ranks, so they're the same pitch, but they just have dif a different tone, right? It's a different timbre. And that's, what, that's what's happening here in this movement. He's got one of them coupled to the other, and if you watch, He's playing the lower manual, but the upper manual keys are actually still depressing without him touching them. It looks like a player piano up there, you know, but it's just just activating when he's playing the lower one. And that means they're both going, right? And then sometimes he'll switch up to the top one to get only that sound. So he, that's when he wants a thinner sound. So he'll do that when he's playing the continuo stuff. But then when he's playing the right hand obligato stuff, he'll move down to the lower manual. So these are all just considerations to make the dynamics of the music more interesting. But how else can a harpsichordist take these notes, which look like they could be played very boringly straight, and turn them into something musical and beautiful? Well, let's just listen to what he does in this section here. So right there, he played bum 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 bum. He did all this little little ornamentation, right? Dun dun da da dum bum thing. But what's written there is just it's just da 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 dum bum. That's all that's written there, right? So instead of playing bum 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 bum, he does this. Okay, listen carefully. He he plays the first two notes early, actually. This is all very intentional. And then the, the note that's supposed to be on beat four, which is actually the third note, the bum, 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 that note, he plays that one a little late. He plays it off the beat, he plays it after his bass note. So let's hear that again. And that measure right there, I, it's ba da da dum bum bum ba dum bum, is what's written. But what he's got, da 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 da, right? Da 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 dum bum ba da dum ba da dum bum bum, like adding so much color to it. Yeah, and then there's even the stereotypical cadential thing going on here. Where if you didn't trill, like mi re bum do, but you just did what's written, like dum bum 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 bum, if you did not notice that, 
then that's like a rookie mistake if you you know if you were playing in a baroque orchestra so that's he's definitely going to do that but then he's adding like you said earlier in the bar alex he's doing more more still mm. yeah it would be you said this christian on the box double episode uh, where we talked about movement three of the box double uh, last season i believe it was you said if you don't play some of these baroque affectations to these little figures it is actually wrong it's not written in the music in a way that we understand as modern musicians if we don't know Baroque stuff, but it's wrong. And you have to do something with it here. Now, you don't have to do exactly what he did with that measure. All those little turns that he added, that is specific to his style, but you have to do something, right? The music demands it. The music demands ornamentation. I just think that it's it's wonderful to see that, especially again in this in this museum here to see that sort of interpretation of Bach's music is very special here. And this is leading up to my moment that I picked for today. And just like last week, this one happens to also be a interesting flatted note, I would, I would call it, a lowered pitch. And it also happens to be a C natural, which is lowered from C sharp. And Christian, your movement last week was in D major, so that C natural was the flat seven of the key if we're if we're going to be technical and here it's b minor so the c that i'm going to talk about here is the it really ends up still feeling like the flat seven of like d major honestly it's a d7 chord and it leads to a g chord but the reason i picked it as my moment it it actually didn't stick out to me that much when i was looking at the score but when i listened to this interpretation that's when i knew i needed to pick it as my moment because you'll see what they do there, they really make a meal out of it. Maybe make a meal out of it is the wrong terminology. It's actually kind of subtle, but they definitely do something important in the moment there. And that is that they slow down, they wait a second, and then they play the notes softer, and then they crescendo out of it. So coming into that measure, the notes are rising in both parts and it should be said here that usually the violin will start or the flute will start either way the other instrument will come in two beats later at the unison canon in this particular movement that's what Bach likes to do which I think is cool and it's a neat trick and it's actually pretty hard to write something that works as a unison canon like that with changing chords under it Right. A unison canon is like a, a round, right? Mm -hmm. But usually those have really simple harmonic sort of structures under them. But it's tough to make them interesting. But Bach is here to do just that, of course. But then, when he's ready to add a little twist to the harmony, he puts it there in that C natural, and we need to, we need to take care in a moment like that, and that's exactly what they do. Just hang there a little bit. So that's what it takes to, to take something that's already masterful like this and to add your own interpretation to it. And the ending of this movement is also no exception there. It's, it's probably my second favorite thing about this movement. And listen to what the harpsichord does right as the other instruments land on their final note.
Now I should note here that Bach has the continuo symbols there, not a written out right hand part. So our harpsichordist here has chosen what to do with his right hand in this last measure. And what he does is really interesting, I think. Instead of playing a B minor chord, which you would fully expect here and which would be natural, be natural, <laughs> which would be the natural thing to do, he instead lands on that low B in the left hand, which he has to do, but then the right hand he lands on a D, but then he lets it fall down. Bum, bum, bum. And then land on the B just unison. So we end on everybody playing just the unison B instead of a full chord there at the end of B, D, and F sharp, which is a real interesting choice, I think. Definitely unusual. Yeah, he did not have to play it that way, but this was an opportunity to do so because all of the written parts ended on B, and neither the violin or the flute ended on D or F sharp or anything else. So most likely at the end here, someone would have ended on B, the tonic pitch, the scale degree one. Somebody may have ended on D so that the chord had a third at the end and had some color. And if it was a big orchestra, there'd be someone on the F sharp also to complete that chord. But since they both landed on B, the harpsichordist bass note ends on B, his right hand, he had a D in there and then he moved it down to B for a nice, sparse and stark conclusion. And now let's hear Alex's C natural moment again. If this introduction to the second movement of the Brandenburg Concerto No. 5 has inspired you to hear the rest of the performance by the Netherlands Bach Society, please go into our footnotes in the episode description. Give the Netherlands Bach Society a, a follow on YouTube and their social media as well so that we can always be encouraging them to release more videos of this high quality. So next week, we will be back with our third episode of three in this Brandenburg Concerto number five mini-series to talk about movement three. Until next time, enjoy those moments.